Hello and welcome to Relationship Talk, the podcast hosted by Teresha Young, Relationship Master Coach. Now, each episode, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you find a deeper understanding of yourself, to set yourself up for dating, relationship, self-love and self-empowerment success. So enjoy, take notes and get ready to apply all key messages you learn today. Hello and welcome to Real Relationship Talk, the podcast hosted by yours truly, Teresha Young, Relationship Master Coach, where we have open, non-judgmental, heart-to-heart conversations about love, self-love, self-care, dating and relationships. And for this week's episode, I am being joined by the wonderful Gabriella Blandi. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's, um, yeah, I'm really excited to dive into the kind of topics that you have on this podcast. Oh, thank you so much for joining because I know that this is going to be a very different conversation as well to some of the conversations we've had before and I really can't wait to start. For everybody who doesn't quite know who Gabriella is, I'm going to let you know right now. So Gabriella is a fully qualified life coach and NLP practitioner. She is a personal and professional development expert with over 15 years experience of working with writers, creative souls and entrepreneurs. She has also trained in the shamanic medicine wheel with the spirit of the Inca. Oh that sounds so mystical, I'd love to know more about that. (laughs) Gabriella has been awarded the Royal Society of Literature B.S. Pritchett Prize and has a master in creative writing with distinction. Her writing has been published in various books and journals, including the Mechanical Institute Review and the London Magazine. She has also been published alongside Sarah Waters and Daphne du Maurier, I hope I've said that correctly, or as best as I could, maybe you can correct that, (laughs) in Virago's collection of ghostly tales, Something Was There. Gabriella has hosted hundreds of literary events, both in London at City University and the bar at RADA, and at the John Osborne Arvin Centre and has spoken on the Creative Writing Masters Programme at Oxford University, UEA, Warwick, Burbeck and Guildford. <laughs> you are omnipresent, I love it. <laughs> Currently, she runs an online community for creative souls who are looking for accountability to achieve their dreams and guidance with their healing journey. Wow, I'm just loving that creative mm. energy that you're so tapped into it would be absolutely magical if you could just share with us some of the key highlights of your career and life journey that led you to being and doing all that you do yeah thanks for asking that one what comes to me is there's the fact of who I work with and then the fact of what I do and both of those have been part of the life journey in that I feel drawn to work with creative souls or people who want to express themselves because I've also been in that position of wanting to let something that's inside of me out and also to share that inner world or that inner truth with the external world. So whether it's wanting to share on a level of I'm sharing with friends and family or wanting to share on a level with I'm sharing with a wider audience, Mm. I've had such pleasure and satisfaction from being able to do that. Mm. 
that I'm always drawn to helping people who might be struggling with that because I also know what it's like to sort of want to express something but feeling held back. Mm-hmm. So that's one side of it, the the why I help the people that I help. And then in terms of the modalities I use, like life coaching or shamanic work or NLP, to be honest, all of those modalities at one point have been my healing tools. Like I never set out to be a coach. I never set out to be a leader. I simply set out to heal myself. And I think as many people who are in this this practitioner field have also experienced, there comes a point when you feel so liberated by healing wounds or finding new levels of inner truth that you then want to turn around and help other people who are perhaps struggling. So the first, you know, the first modality I learned was the was the shamanic work. And I literally I just went there, Teresha, just because I was like, I'm a wounded soul. Like, I I need help. I need healing. And I remember in the first retreat of training that we did, the the way the training is set up is you spend four days doing your own work and then four days learning the energy healing modalities that are part of the medicine wheel that you can then offer to other people. And I was like not too worried about the the modalities i'm i i haven't i haven't got the spiritual magic i didn't even see myself as someone who was spiritual but i was like i'm just i'm just here for me yeah and i loved the inner work stuff like it was really my first experience of personal development and i was like this feels so good i really enjoyed it like i was having fun i'm not saying i wasn't like bawling my eyes out yeah. but i was also like getting so much satisfaction from it then when we stepped into learning the practices I remember sitting with my partner and doing the very first healing modality that we learn which is simply to cleanse someone's energy field and in that process I felt that every single thing that I loved doing was being used I was being in a space with someone with an open heart I felt like my imagination was being used in a really productive way I was having an inner experience that just felt really, really gorgeous, like an internal massage. Mm. And my mentor came over after I'd done the practice and she was like nudging me going, you're a natural. And I was like, oh, hey, listen, look, I'm just I'm just here to heal myself. And she was like, that's what you think. Mm. And I think that was the first experience I had, which is the beauty of our wounds take us to learn something which we will then want to then turn around and share with other people. It's like we're coming along this path, but we then want to turn around and be like, who else? Who else wants to come along this path? So I would say that's the same with all of the modalities I've learned. And we can, you know, we can, if you're, if you feel to, we can go into specific ones that I use, but every single one has been at a point in my own healing journey where I'm like, I need this for me. And then I'm like, damn, this was so good for me. I yeah. now wanna, you know, I now want to offer that to other people. That's absolutely amazing. You said so much there that really, really making my heart sing. I love the word that you use, an internal massage. Wow, what a descriptive, I know you've got a descriptive background, but what a way to actually describe that experience. Mm. You've spoken about wounds, and often it's said that we can label the type of wounds that we're going through. They can say you might be wounded because of rejection or abandonment. It could be injustice or betrayal or even humiliation. When you were able to focus on your wounds, was there 
could you identify or label what was a major wound for you that you were looking to heal? Yes, it's interesting, this idea of labelling, because I think, and I will I will give an example, but mm. I think there is some benefit in being able to label a wound mm. and give a sense of like, oh, this is because my father was never around when I was growing up, which is one of my wounds. And so I have a fear of being rejected or a fear of being abandoned. Mm. I think what's really important is then to move from that labelling to the experience of it. Because what can then happen is that we end up just talking about it and talking about it. And what's then happening is we are simply reliving the wound Mm -hmm. rather than what might be referred to as renegotiating it. So beginning to experience it in a different or a new way. And that's really essential for healing. And I only know this because I was stuck in that place of just reliving and reliving. So before I did my shamanic training, I actually saw a therapist and I saw a therapist for a few years but it didn't blow me away in any of the ways that shamanic training or life coaching or NLP has blown me away and I certainly think that there's different modalities that work for different people but just talking about the story never seemed to help me it just seemed to embed it and embed it so what I've seen from this, you know, this fear of in this fear of abandonment or this fear of rejection is that when I come into the body and experience it, it's literally just an internal squeezing. Mm. It's a little bit like for those for those of your viewers or listeners who've ever eaten oysters, when you have an oyster and you put a squeeze of lemon juice on it, it kind of it kind of does that. Yeah. And so that was the, you know, that for me is the experience of this wound. So I'm I'm being abandoned or I'm being rejected and my body clenches. And the reason it does that is because it doesn't want to experience the pain. So in clenching, it essentially numbs the pain going through the body. But then what happens as a result of that, I don't get to experience the movement of that pain. And so it traps it inside me. Mm. So then what started to happen, and this did play out in my relationships, my body is seeking to release that energy that is that's tied up in the pain. So it then starts to reenact. It goes into, say, relationships where I can be abandoned or I can be rejected in order that I allow myself to have a different experience, which is essentially to feel the pain of it and to be open to it and to then let it pass through the body. But for for decades, Teresa, I was just constantly like you know because that was all I knew so that was you know that was how it was with my with my wound of um being rejected or being abandoned Mm -hmm. I also had a huge wound of pleasing people so hiding my true self so really pushing down and so again you know there's 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 so many stories around that of like well I was a people pleaser because of this and this is what my parents expected of me and that's what my teachers expected of me And again, it can be useful to get some kind of context. But then when I start to come into the body of this people pleasing, what I experience is an absolute suppression of who I am, my truth. And then, of course, it's no wonder that I was then experiencing depression because all of my energy is just tampered down. And so in working through that, again, it's been a case of just opening up and allowing like the truth of my energy to come out and then noticing oh my god I'm 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 so afraid at how how big I can be in a room so there's lots of different nuances to it but 
Yes, just in answer to your question, those are a couple of flavors of the wounds I've had, Mm -hmm. but also how I found that moving through those wounds has actually been more about breath and body work or meditation or visualization rather than let's talk it through. And that's so interesting because, and thank you for sharing that because it's so enlightening. We, or many people, do recognize and identify with the mind body connection, but we can be so caught up in the mind in the story, the story versus what actually happened, you know, and we start to create these magnificent stories and we can stay stuck there. But quite often, we don't really think about the reverse, the body into the mind, you know, and how powerful that reverse process can be. So I'm really curious about. So you've spoken about the breath work, the meditation. That requires people to slow down. <laughs> In a world where we might not necessarily want to be slowing down. So did you encounter any resistance to that at first in terms of slowing down? Because I do recognise that you may have also experienced a little bit of burnout as well that led you to well, almost being forced to slow down. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I love the way that you that you touch on that, that we can get to a place where it's forced upon us. Mm. So there have been, I would say, fluctuations over the last few decades of my life where I've reached a point where I've had to slow down. Mm. So in my 20s, which was when I first came to meditation, really what led me to the meditation cushion and boy was I resistant I was just like oh my god the idea of sitting on that cushion and just being with myself like I was terrified of it because I was like my thoughts are going to drive me insane like I'm busy trying to avoid my thoughts I'm busy trying to be busy so I don't hear this insane internal dialogue I don't want to be with myself but it got to the point that Okay, two examples. One was I would be trying to go in at night time to just brush my teeth in the bathroom and I just couldn't decide. I was so like, wait, should I should I brush my teeth before putting on my pajamas? Am I brushing my teeth right? Should I maybe I should brush my teeth for longer? And I was like, dude, this is like this is weird. Like, you know, something needs to happen here. And also as a writer, reading is a huge part of what I do. And it got to a point where my mind was so busy. I was reading pages and I was just zoning out. And I thought I've lost, I've lost the pleasure of reading. (sighs) And those two, I mean, there were lots of other examples, but I, I knew of meditation and I don't know why I put the two together, but I somehow knew that meditation was going to help with this. And I knew that if I didn't do something, I was like, look where it's got to, it's only going to get worse. Mm. But I spent a year practicing meditation. I went on a meditation retreat and learned a modality, which um, was an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. And I was so committed to doing it. On the meditation retreat, I it was a seven day retreat and I think I had a breakthrough on day five. So up until then, it was just it was just gross for me. I was like literally sitting and swimming in thoughts. I wasn't following my breath. I was literally with my mind and then like, wait, oh, God, I'm supposed to be following my breath and then giving myself a really hard time for it, feeling really uncomfortable in the body 
hating myself, like really being critical about the fact that I couldn't do it, imagining that everybody else was in a state of bliss. And what I didn't know at the time, that was just literally me showing me all of the toxicity in my mind that I was believing. There was a moment on day five when I had this vision and it was so it was so profound for me. I'd never experienced anything like it. So in the meditation, I was so pained by what I was witnessing in my mind that there was just this moment where I was just like, it was like a physical surrender. Like I literally can't do anything. I just, this mind is berating me, but I've got nothing. I've just got nothing. And so it was just kind of the equivalent of just like letting the mind have its way. It's like, okay, you, you knock yourself out. Like I can't fight you anymore. Yeah. You surrendered. And in that moment, there was I had a vision of Princess Leia from Star Wars. I'm not yes. a particular fan. I don't know why it was her. Or I didn't know why it was her at the time. There's a moment in the in what was the original first Star Wars when she's kind of bending over and she's putting a message into one of the robots. So she kind of has this pose. I don't want to bend over too much because I'm going to go off screen, but she's like bending right over at the waist and she's holding her hand out like this. And I just saw her doing that behind me. And the thing that she says in the film is, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only help. And actually, it's making me tear up now. But she didn't say that in my mind. What she did was she did this Mm -hmm. and she said, with love. And in that moment, I just felt this energetic shower of love coming down. And it was my first experience of loving the self. I had never experienced that. I'd never known what it was like to have that softness, to have that acceptance. And that because people are like, whoa, you meditated for a year and it was total hell. Like, what kept you <laughs> at it? Yeah. And I was like, it was that vision that showed me that there was something to this meditation. Mm-hmm. And that if I just kept showing up, I would, I would find, I would find something. I didn't know what it was. Oh. So yeah, that was my first experience of slowing down. And so anytime after that, I found myself getting you know the phrase might be over aroused so like my head is busy or my body is busy again it's just a sign like you know you've lost your way you've kind of come back into that that panicked or that fearful or that anxious energy so my meditation cushion is totally my friend um and I think that there's just this there's just this understanding now that the very thing that we're afraid to do which is stop is yeah. actually, I mean, I I do think it's the truth for everybody on the planet. I don't know, that seems like a really bold statement to say, <laughs> but I think if we can all be okay with stopping, I think we would be living in a totally different world. Yeah, I completely hear such a powerful share. And I was getting choked up there myself, just with that imagery of the hands coming towards you. Mm. It's almost like safe. You are safe. That's how I view that. And we want to feel that element of safety in life. And there's one of our, and according to Maslow, there's one of our you know, top needs when it comes to human needs is that element of safety and a bit of certainty and trusting the process as well, which I think is such a, a wonderful experience that you had. And you know, talking about stopping, 
and slowing down when you are working with your clients do you find and what are some of the common resistance that you get from your clients who don't want to slow down are there reasons and justifications as to why they can't do that yeah very much so very much resistance and like you say the reasons and the justifications and I think it can be so easy to really get caught up in those reasons and justifications and I know that from my own experience I experienced burnout in my business around about a year and a half ago and I had the same reasons and justifications like I can't wind down and often it's around money like if I if I stop if I take time off work like who's going to pay the bills or a sense of it's it's boring to stop a sense <laughs> of um, you know what am I going to do what yes. am I going to do with myself yes so what I find really interesting and again it ties back to what I was talking earlier about this narrative or this story mm. when we're coming to this place of stopping or slowing down what we've got to do is experience what's happening beneath the story Okay. So I like to think of it as layers, like the story's keeping you up here in the head. Yeah. And it does kind of feel quite, you know, almost quite sort of fizzy or frazzled up here. Like there's yeah. a lot of whirring. And we can be very addictive to that, to that yeah. whirring. So the story's all up here. It's keeping us really, really busy in the mind. But actually what starts to happen is when we drop into the body, what we start to feel is an experience of, say, exhaustion. Mm. And what can be really amazing is when we do feel that exhaustion, we're like, oh, God, it, it really wakes us up and we understand what the thoughts have been concealing. Mm. So I think that that is a sort of simple premise. And my clients, you know, that's they know that's where I'm at. Like when they start to tell me something, I'm like, yeah. let's get beneath the story. And they're like, you know, some of them again are like, oh, God, yeah. like, you know, I knew you were going to make me do this. And I know how hard it is because I remember when I started, when I first started having doing shamanic work, it was all about like, we can talk so much, but then we've got to find out what the body's doing. And I found that so hard. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be like, no, don't get me in my body. Like, you don't understand what I'm saying to you. Like, you need to hear more. You need to know that it's different for me. Like, I, re I really can't stop. Like, you may have clients that can wind down, but that's just not possible for me. But because I've been there, I know the resistance. Yeah. And you actually touched on something when you were reflecting back my Princess Lair experience, which yes. is that safety. Mm. So a lot of that is a real indication. If we don't feel safe, we're going to want to keep running. Mm. And doing and being busy is our way of running. It's, it's running away from the tiger. So when we come into our body, what we realize is, is the body is activated we perhaps have got some shallow breathing. We perhaps feel that our heart is pounding. So we realize we're in a state of stress or we're in the sympathetic state. Yes. So until we calm that down, we are literally not going to want to stop. It's the equivalent of someone who's like running from a tiger and you being like, oh, mate, do you want to just take a pause right now? And they're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, what well, about to be food? Yeah. <laughs> so 
there isn't actually a tiger but there is a belief that like there is a tiger whether that's I'm going to run out of money or you know bills have gone up or I need to get more clients or I've got to reach this deadline and so the body is in a in a believed state of of their life being on the line so that's why we are so resistant to stopping and slowing down and that was literally how I felt a year and a half ago when I really came into the body it was a sheer terror Mm. at stopping and that was something that I had to that I had to work through which I eventually was able to connect to a trauma which gave me some understanding of why that fear was there and we can go into that if you want to but absolutely yeah it's 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 just first and foremost it is it's it's doing work with the body breath work okay movement so they're talking about the body work because you know for a lot of people that will be quite foreign to them is actually starting to connect with their body so let's say you was to have a new client you was on board and a new client what would be one of the first steps that you get them to identify how they can connect with their body I would say the majority of the people who first connect to me are going to find that very very challenging mm. okay so it's got to be done really, really gently because, and I know this from my own journey, I've experienced animosity towards practitioners who are asking me to come into my body. And that animosity is literally like the sort of growl of the wounded animal saying like, you know, don't mess with me, don't come yeah. closer. Like you're asking me to do something that I don't want to do. So it's to really understand that. So we literally just start really, really simply. So it might be that I get them to do a breathwork practice with me. Mm-hmm. So I've got lovely little breathwork practices and they're quite fun. And we might do sort of four to five minutes of just breathing in a certain mm-hmm. way. And what what that does is it creates sensation in the body. Like it does lots of different things, but one of the things that certain different breathwork practices do is it creates like some kind of internal flutter, some kind of heat within the body, some sort of movement. So then you've actually got something that you can tune into. The other way that someone might experience that is a kind of contrast. So I've had I've had a new inquiry who's come in and they've done a little bit of the breath work and they might say, "Mm, I don't feel any difference. But what I'm noticing is I'm not thinking about what I was thinking about before I came on the call. So they might have a first experience of just like the internal chatter has eased. Mm. So what I'm really just looking to happen in that first consultation is for them to be like something was different as a result of doing this practice. Okay. And then for some people, they may be resistant to that. And I know about that, like the ego or our thought patterns are designed to keep us safe. They're designed to prevent us from going somewhere. And my own example is like, it's such a great example to use because for many, many years, I was resistant to breath work. And here I am now, like fully like, go breath work. It's one of the best things to do. Me too. Absolutely. I'm such a shallow breather. So I can completely resonate. (laughs) So for me, I would never have signed up to a breath work workshop, but I love doing retreats. So I might go on a yoga retreat or I might go on an ecstatic dance retreat. Mm. And then in that retreat, there might have been a morning breath work practice. And I'd be like, oh God, okay, well, we'll just grin and bear it. 
And then I would go into the breathwork practice and I would do one of two things. I'd either completely zone out. So they would be like, right, we're going to do a breathing modality where we inhale to the count of four and then exhale to the count of eight. So I might start, I might be like, okay, let's give it a go. And then pretty soon I just zone out. And then suddenly it's the end of the session and I'm like, oh, did I fall asleep? Like, where did I go? The other experience I've had is like a real more extreme reaction. Like, this is so boring and I can't be bothered to do it. Mm. Now I recognize those as impeccable resistance. It's my mind saying, I don't want to do this practice because what it's going to unearth. Because what breathwork starts to do is it starts to relax the nervous system. So things start to arise. You start to have new experiences. You start to have releases. And so taking the next step, I was specifically resistant to any kind of breathwork that was around rebirthing. Okay. Okay. I used to look at rebirthing workshops and be like, oh, please. Like, is that the extent that we've that we've gone to? Like, do we do we have to be rebirthed? I just associated it with. I don't know, histrionic women, again, not realizing that that was my ego doing Uh a beautiful job protecting me, saying, do not go there. Yes. And so the narrative was really compelling. I was like, I'm not that kind of person. I wouldn't go to a breathwork, um, a rebirthing workshop. But I was recently at a breathwork festival. So I'd gone to a breathwork session and finally stayed present I recognized that this zoning out or this I can't be bothered was resistance Mm. and I was like my meditation cushion has taught me how to be present I know I can bring that into this session I'm going to do the breath that we're being taught yeah what I experienced was a level of happiness and bliss that Mm. I hadn't even come close to touching in a sober state okay and it blew my mind. It really showed me. Remember, I talked about the contrast that the yes. onboarding client might be like, whoa, I feel this now. So it sort of showed me. I was like, if I can feel this from breathing, why am I not feeling this every day in my life? So then I was like, I'm sold. Breathwork is amazing. So then I signed up to go to a breathwork festival. At the festival, I found it really difficult to follow the timetable. So I would just go into tents at the sort of time that things were meant to be starting. I happened to go into a tent that was re- that was all about rebirthing, all about birth trauma, all about processes around experience in the womb and experiences of trauma around birth. Mm. And I was sitting in that tent and the woman started to talk. In my mind, I was thinking, oh, this is very fascinating. I'm really enjoying this talk. Like, yes, you know, it's it's very good. My body was in a fit of tears. I was heaving snot tears. I was like, my body knows something that my mind doesn't know. Yeah. And as she began to explain how important the experience is in the womb for how it sets your nervous system. So she says, if you have a stressful experience in the womb, you're mm. going to be born with your nervous system in stress state as default. Okay. And then you're going to have an absolute terror of stopping. I was like, I get it. I absolutely understand why I got to this place of burnout and why I've had these patterns of slowly, slowly getting busier and busier and busier and then slowly, slowly having to wind down. Yes. But if I was really honest, I had never 
fully stopped. I slowed down just enough mm-hmm. to then to then get going again. It was like, yeah. let me just slow down enough so I can then carry on as I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was life changing because I then, you know, I I've I there was some stories I knew about my experience in the womb and my birth, but I just hadn't put two and two together. Yeah. So I my experience in the womb was of a, of a very toxic environment. I was, I was in, I was in toxicity. And in fact, I was being poisoned by my mother's blood in the womb. And then I was born premature and then I was put in an incubator. Mm. So it explains why I have this absolute need for attachment in relationships because I'm craving the physical touch that I didn't get. And also why I have an absolute fear of stopping because I literally the first sort of experience I had as a cell in this life was in a toxic situation. So my nervous system didn't know calm. So it's shown me so much, but all of this has come about as a result of going to the modality that I was most resistant to, which was breath work and being aware enough to notice I'm telling myself a story. This is resistance Mm. and being brave enough to come into the body when it's absolutely the last thing to do. Yeah. Incredible. And this is why we have people such as yourself to help us along that journey and to navigate. Because listeners that people might think, whoa, that's 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 an experience. You know, there really is a journey. You know, how can I feel supported with that? And this is where your your work, your great work comes in to help people to feel safe and to navigate that journey. Because you have spoken about trauma that could have even started before we were born started in the womb so it was something that you actually wrote on a, a recent post that I wanted to speak to you about and you said that there's a big difference between acting from trauma and living from truth mm. and I thought oh could you elaborate a bit more on that yeah so when we talk about acting from trauma rather than living from our truth The understanding is that in the aftermath of a trauma, which is really simply something that happened to us, which we didn't understand how to respond to. Often people think, well, trauma is about the event. It's about something massive happening. But actually, it's about the massiveness that happens within you. So the event could literally be getting getting a black, getting a dark look from from a teacher at school and just being like, oh my God, I like, I literally feel like, I literally feel like that look killed me. I feel so afraid about what's going to happen. Um, so I think that's really important to understand. We've got an experience of something overwhelming that happens to us. And then what happens as a result is an energy gets locked into the body because we're like, and then it's all contained. We don't have an opportunity to go, oh wow that was intense and like let's let it go Mm. because we don't you know it happens at a time that we may not understand what's happening to us or we may not be in a position to express ourselves like if a teacher gives us a dark look we want to be quiet we sort of want to bottle it in rather than be like wow that really freaks me out that look or laughing or something Mm. um so yeah so trauma can be um an, an acute event but it can also be something much more subtle that creates an aftermath within ourselves Mm -hmm. now as a result of that we have this trapped energy within our body and our body is always trying to release it in some way so that's when we might 
start to display symptoms of this trapped energy. So our body might be like, oh, a way to release it is to like just keep doing, to keep being busy. Okay. It might be that because of this, um, this traumatic experience, we start to narrow what we do in our life. So we start to narrow the friendships that we have because we can't handle having too many, can't have handle having too many friends, or we start to narrow the experiences we have because we get afraid of going somewhere unknown. Like what if something happens? So what starts to happen is the trauma is essentially defining our personality. We become someone who hates people giving us evil stares and and <clears throat> we're really aggressive towards people who have serious looks judgmental towards serious people or we are you know we become someone who's like oh I I don't I don't like heights or I don't like going to busy areas or I don't like showing up online which is obviously a lot of the things that I'm dealing with with my clients like I like being creative but I want to keep it to myself that's just the way that I am so I think when we find ourselves doing things that we can't quite explain or saying like, look, that's just the way that I am, like, please don't meddle with it. And we're very protective about our routines. We know that we're living from our trauma. Yeah. We're living from a certain personality that's been de- defined by experiences that we didn't know how to handle. Yeah. Whereas when we come to a place where we're living from our truth, what starts to happen here is we start to really understand who we are before the trauma defined us. So what do I mean by that? Yeah. Let's say we had an experience where our parents split up and the the event was so intense for us that the only way that we could manage it was to think to ourselves, I'm unlovable. Like that's why it happened. If we come to a place where we're living from our truth, what starts to happen is we've released that energy. We've released that pattern of believing that we're unlovable. And the truth beneath us is I'm a person that oh, I feel like I can love myself or oh, I'm a person who uh, my truth is that actually I feel like I can give myself generously to people. So we start to uncover a deeper aspect to ourselves, which is often more generous, which is often calmer than we think. Like a lot of people are like, well, I'm just that kind of person. I'm go, go, go. But when we take away that fear or the or we heal the wound, they're like, oh, my God, now that I'm living from my truth, I'm actually really laid back. Yeah. And the truth isn't something that we can figure out with our heads, because I think some people are like, hey, be your authentic self. And we (laughs) sort of we sort of get this idea that living from your truth is about being really loud and being really expressive. But that may be what it looks like for some people, but not for other people. Mm -hmm. So really living from your truth is coming within and getting a sense of what the body wants without the constriction of fear or without the constriction of like, what's going to happen if I do this? And really understanding what you truly want to do, whether that is, you know, being like this or whether that's actually, gosh, I'm a lot, I'm a lot calmer than I thought I, I thought I was. Yeah, that's so interesting because when you were saying things such as, you no, know, I'm not lovable, maybe that's kind of one of the key reasons that stop people from being creative or being expressive to be able to communicate their truth because it's that whole acceptance piece. It's that whole, will I be accepted? Am I loved? There was nothing I saw that you wrote, which was, I am enough. You know, sometimes people don't actually feel like they are enough for 
the world or to express themselves fully so do you find that when you are working because I know that you know, part of what you do your online community is to help people to achieve their dreams as well and give them that guidance so do you find there's some blockages that you find from people when it comes to achieving their dreams like some common misconceptions that they have about what their dreams are what they should be <laughs> yeah beautiful I want to I want to try to answer that question but also to capture on the two things that you observed which is that I'm not lovable or I'm not enough yes. because actually the the two the two are often linked okay. in the if we're trying to think about what our dreams are what our purpose is if we have this belief of I'm not lovable or I'm not enough it's going to really make that difficult and I love that you pointed these two things out to Asia because when it comes to our dreams, that's about authenticity. That's about having this intuition of like who I'm meant to be and, and what I'm what I'm here in this lifetime for. Mm -hmm. So this intuition or this in thought, intuition or authenticity can actually conflict against what we might call attachment or this desire to be liked or this desire to be loved or this need to be enough. Mm -hmm. So when we're when we're growing up, if our parents only gave us the attachment, which is attention or, or love or physical contact as a reward for something, yes. we're going to start to understand I need to give in order to get. Yes. And then if we have an experience of, well, I gave this, but I didn't get the attention. I've got to give more. We start to get a sense of what's enough for attention and love and attachment and what isn't yeah. enough. Mm -hmm. And because we live in a world where we can actually choose to, to rate attachment higher than authenticity, and what, what do I mean by this? If, for example, you had, you know, men and women living millions of years ago, if we couldn't follow our intuition and we were in the jungle, if we had no ability to follow our intuition, we wouldn't survive. Yeah. If we had this feeling of like, wait, there's a there's a wild animal around and we were like, no, I'm not going to listen to that. We'd get eaten. Yes. But now we live in a much safer society. So we don't we don't die off if we haven't developed that real connection with intuition. Yeah. So what that means is we can favor love and attachment and disregard authenticity and intuition and stay alive. Mm. So what that means is we're a society that's favoring being attached to people. And that's why we've lost contact with our authenticity or our intuition, because we've learned to support suppress that or not listen to it in favor of our caregivers or our teachers giving us attention because we're reliant on love we're reliant on physical contact we're reliant on our parents to feed us and so we're not going to want to displease them mm -hmm. so if we're expressing ourselves in a certain way whether that be a, an expression of anger and our parent is like go to your room suddenly we're in our room on our own the attachment has been broken so we're going to be like what did I do that got me into this alone space let mm. me not do that anymore so it's situations like that that just cause us to push down our intuitive 
um, reaction in the moment because it's going to mean that we end up being alone. Mm. So if we then fast forward to someone I'm working with who is like, I don't really know what my dreams are. Like, I want to express myself, but I always find myself holding myself back. Then I know that what's happening is they favored being attached to expressing their true authenticity. Mm. So often then they've got this feeling of, well, I'm not enough. Like my truth is not enough to get me love or um, I'm not lovable. Like if I am my true self, I don't get love. I'm not good enough to get attention. And so then we start to work through. And the irony is what they then discover at the end of the journey is they've got so much within them. And that actually now, like this in a way is the beauty of the online world. Like those people who are authentically expressing their truth, they're just a magnet because we're just dying. We're dying for intuition and authenticity. It's what we're craving. And the irony there is that that then brings us the love and the attachment. So we we now get to have both of the things that we want. What a, one experience, one insight for anybody who is going through that journey in terms of how you can navigate it and reframe the way that you feel about yourself or your, your beliefs, your paradigms into something that is completely liberating. Now, one of the words I believe that you said when you first started our discussion was about the whole liberation that you felt when you started to really tap into your healing journey. And what you are alluding to there is a healing journey that you are taking your clients through, which I think is so empowering. And just talking about some of the attachments, I know that for yourself, you've spoken about being a a former, can I say former people pleaser, or are you still working on on that? Um, But people pleasing and also the attachments that perhaps you have picked up from the way that you were cared for as a child growing up. Now, I wondered whether some of these tendencies that you had had any impact on some of your romantic experiences. Um, And if you would share a little bit about that with us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Completely. They they completely showed up in those relationships. I I think that the the relationship arena is a beautiful arena. It's a a catalyst really for showing us what our attachment styles are or what our wounds are. And we can see that in what are the common themes in the relationships. And sometimes we can, we can not spot it because we're like, oh, it feels like each relationship was different. Mm. And isn't it funny? It's like the friends who are there going, oh my God, you're literally, <laughs> you know, it's the same guy, but you're like, yeah. no, he's completely different. <laughs> it's useful. This one's got blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's useful to remember, as I mentioned earlier, we have this we have this instinctive desire to work through the wound. And so we're drawn to Mm reenacting. We're drawn to putting ourselves back in the same situation so that we can create a different ending. But if we're not coming into that situation consciously, we're simply just going to reenact it. Mm -hmm. So what I've seen from the relationships that I've been in, first and foremost, is favoring being loved over being myself. Mm. like that's really been the theme throughout now that's played out slightly differently so in some of the relationships it has involved me just putting on a performance of exactly who I think they they would 
they want. So the kind of person that they would be infatuated with, the kind of person that they'd be like, wow, you're so amazing. I'm just, I can't help but love you in an enormous way. And so it's a version of people pleasing because I'm doing whatever I can to please them enough that they literally give me this overwhelming love. Um, And in early relationships, it was sustainable, but it was also exhausting, like this constant performance of being an amazing girl. So I would be, I'd be the kind of like, I'm totally laid back. Like Mm -hmm. I'm the kind of girlfriend who lets her guy do anything. I'm not jealous. Like I don't worry. But inside I was just tamping down all of that fear of abandonment, all of that jealousy. I was denying it within myself. On the exterior, I looked really laid back, but yes. but my, you know, my 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 beautiful internal organs were just in a state of terror. Oh. It also played out in choosing. Oh, so in those relationships, what would happen is I would end the relationship because I unconsciously I just got to a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I need some me time. Uh, okay. Interesting. Me time. So yeah. Cool. So I was like, I need to just be able to come back and be me for a while. Mm. I was not aware of any of this. Like this is only me able to look in hindsight. So I would get bored with the relationship. I yeah. get bored with them. You know, I, I would get a sense of like, oh, I don't want to be tied down. But yeah. really what was happening is like the real Gabriella was like, I, I need, I need some airtime here. Yeah. Yeah. Other ways that it's played out is that I've chosen a guy who I believe I'm superior to in some way. So they're going to look up to me and be like, wow, you're so amazing. And so they're going to like worship and adore me. And they would never leave me because they're so in awe of me. And um, I remember the last time that pattern played out. That was a sort of four or five year relationship. And that was the last serious relationship that I was in. I remember being in the shower and this this relation, that pattern of relationship ended up with me being left. So I would be the one that got broken up with. Mm. I remember being in the shower and literally I have a memory of me like cleaning, soaping my left armpit, like suddenly (laughs) seeing this pattern. And I remember out loud saying, all right, all right, babe, how's that one working out? (laughs) And it's this irony that the very pattern that we have to protect us from the very thing we fear actually creates the thing that we fear because we're trying to create the situation that we're afraid of to enable us to have a different have a different way out of it Mm. so in that moment I remember being in the shower and for the very first time set you know in this like saying to myself and I and I can feel the emotion rising up within me as I'm about to say it to you saying I call up the part of me that is afraid of being left and I just felt this rising up of just this tiny vulnerable fragile energy and I was like I'm never going to abandon you again because I realized I'd never been present. I'd never been a witness to that energy. Mm. And that only when I stopped abandoning that part of me would I then no longer be abandoned, if that Mm. makes sense. Wow, that is such a powerful share. And I can completely hear what you're saying there, Gabriella, because it's almost like there was an identification. You were doing a lot. You wanted to show up for the other person, be laid back and also be somebody who was 
you know, looked upon and say, oh, yeah, you're doing so well, you know, idolised perhaps, you know, by somebody else. A lot of people pleasing that he was doing in those type of relationships. And it just feels like a little bit of a, a disempowered feminine energy state that you may have been in, you know, doing those type of actions. So given all that you've learned and some of the aha moments you had, how do you now allow yourself or would you going forward to receive love? Yeah, beautiful. And yeah, really, really spot on with that noticing of the disempowered feminine state. Like, and that was another another result that, that led to the burnout. I was totally in my masculine energy. I was like, badass, like, <laughs> you know, do, do, do. Yeah really valuing that so I've done some beautiful healing in that area really tuning into my feminine energy mm. funnily enough when I started to do that healing work I began to get a lot of inquiries from male clients I, I'd worked with a few men over the years but suddenly I was getting all these inquiries from male mm. clients so yeah. I think it's beautiful to, to understand that when you do start to do your healing work the results that you're getting in your life or external events do shift and you start to see, okay, that, that sh that's a sort of a reflection that there's an internal change. Yeah. So I've, I've been single now for the longest time I've ever been single. So up until I would say from age 13, I'd never been single for longer than six months. Okay. Or possibly a year pushing it six six to nine months but for the last four years I've been single mm. and what's really shifted for me is and the best way that I can describe it is because I was so focused on being loved getting into an attachment with somebody I was just like whenever I was single I was like right next one who am I who who am I going to find like I'm, I'm looking for that love I'm looking for that attachment and so I would always have this experience of a of a round peg in a square hole. And when I look back on it, it was there with every single relationship I went in. I was taking someone who almost fit what I needed and just squeezing it in. So in the last four years, that's been my attention. It's like mm -hmm. when I meet somebody, does it feel like a right fit? Okay. And there's a real difference here, again, between what I'm thinking and between what I'm thinking. Sorry, between what I'm thinking and between what I'm feeling. Yeah. Because I can be thinking, well, he's not he's not good looking enough or he's not kind enough. But actually, the answer is going to be found in the body. Yes. Because I think when we rely on our thoughts, if we're if we're allowing our thoughts to determine who we come into an interaction with, that's our ego. So our ego is saying, I want to be with you because you're going to make me look good. Or I mm. want to be with you because you're going to allow me to continue to function in this egoic way. Yes. Those are just a couple of examples. But when we come into the body, it's like what's right for the body and, and on the body's journey. So does it feel safe in the body? Does it feel like a right fit in the body? Does your energy seem to come into mine and feel like like a lovely balance? Mm. And in a way, the fact that I have been single for the last four years, to me, it sort of shows that it's working because I have met people. And when I've come into the body, I'm like, there's just something here that that isn't that isn't right for me now. Yes. So sometimes I'm like, well, maybe this could be a slow burn. It could be that I just need to sort of keep um, keep being friends with this person to see if we do come into a more 
romantic alignment or that person then eventually drifts out of my life Mm. but it just seems to be about patience it seems to be about continually navigating and I do mean continually navigating the discomfort of being alone because there is a fear there there's a fear I'll always be alone I'm going to die alone so it's like navigating that navigating my deep need for love yeah. And, you know, continually healing that when it arises in my body, like the despair of not being loved, the despair of not being seen by a man, but also understanding that if I'm not coming into relationship with someone that I'm doing it, I'm doing it in a better way or I'm doing it in a way that's more aligned with my truth and really waiting for that right fit to come along. Oh, gosh, I, I so get that especially the parts that you're saying about maybe the fear of loneliness, is this my forever? You know, am I going to be single forever? Although you are in a place where are you accepting of that? Let's just say that you were single forever and you didn't quite fit or find a person who was to fit for you. Are you accepting of that? How do you Mm. feel? Lovely question. When, for me, when I notice something that could then impact the growth that I'm making in this life. I'm like, right, let me let me take this into one of my practices. So okay. yes, I did, I did notice this fear of being alone. And I thought, if that fear goes un, unwitnessed or goes unresolved, it's going to make me want to just grab anybody. Yes. So I remember coming, so I I have a practice of shamanic fire. I find it so illuminating. When I want to, when I want to come to a renegotiation of a pattern, fire can be a really powerful practice to use because what it does is it helps to really release old energy. Mm. But what it also does is it brings in it brings in a new energy. So it's not only going to release the fear of being alone, it's going to give you a different experience. And again, you can't think it out. You can't be like, well, I suspect the new experience I'm going to get (laughs) from this fire. Like you just there's there's sometimes you're like, whoa, you couldn't have made that up. But sometimes it's like that's not what I expected. But you always get what you need. So I came into fire with this question of like, I want to release this fear of being alone and I want to have a new experience and and not knowing what it is. And yeah, this this is a great example of like, "Mm, not quite what I expected. Yeah. So when I was holding fire, I um I had a I had a vision and and this often happens like when you're doing when you're doing energetic work sometimes people have memories or sometimes people have visions so it may not be a memory but it's more like a symbolic vision to give you a sense of like oh I kind of get where this fear came from so I had a vision of me like wearing threadbare rags underneath a bridge in the pouring rain and I was like that symbolizes my fear of being alone like I'm so alone that I'm cold I'm outdoors it's raining and I'm probably just gonna die Mm -hmm. so I was like yeah no wonder I've got a real fear of that But it also helped me understand that fear is far more extreme than the reality. Like being single is very different to being under a bridge. To a tornado coming or something like that to sweep you away. (laughs) Yeah. So it helped me kind of really begin to self-regulate this idea of like it feels different to imagine being alone. So I was like, ah, okay, I'm releasing the terror of being alone because it doesn't associate with being destitute and about to die from the elements. And then I started to come into this kind of like okayness with being alone. And then what started to really come in from the fire was actually a real sense of my power. 
because it was an understanding of like giving that power as a transaction. Let me give you a piece of me so that I can have hmm. I can have this sense of I'm I'm not going to be destitute. So when I got a sense of that power coming back to me, the experience I had was like this feels so amazing to be whole, to be complete. I would be happy to continue doing the necessary healing work in this lifetime so that in my next lifetime, I could meet my twin flame. Yes. So I was like, whoa, this is big, like to literally come to a place of acceptance that I may never find that twin flame relationship, which is now what I'm, you know, that's what the right fit means to me. It's like a twin flame relationship and understanding the rest of my life may be about healing so that my next incarnation can have it. But it was a sense of like, it feels so good to be yeah. me. That's okay. Now, I don't necessarily feel that way every day. But when yeah. I find myself spiraling, I can now self-regulate and come back from the terror and remind yourself, remember how it felt when you felt that power, remember when it felt when you felt so generous to your soul to say, I'm not going to force you into anything in this lifetime so that you can get what you want, whether it is this lifetime or whether it's next lifetime. Oh, that's incredible. Such an experience. I love the way how almost you've linked the fire with the twin flame as well, which I will move on to um, as the next part. Um, what I wanted to actually witness there is it was almost like the closing off of a grief process Do you know the acceptance part when it comes to the end of the grief cycle it's kind of the liberation it's the okay this is where we are you've gone through that whole could I be lonely forever what does that mean for me maybe it's a bit down about it in denial no it would never happen for me you know could even get a bit angry by it all and then you get to that wonderful acceptance stage where it's like okay but then also what you're doing is you know, you're looking at the possibilities. And I think sometimes when we get stuck in the story, it's because we're not actually thinking about the possibilities or the alternatives as to where we are. So tapping into, Gabriella, this twin flame energy that you are feeling, Describe to me, what is your personal definition of love? I'd love to know, and I'm sure the listeners would love to know. In the romantic context, obviously. Okay, yeah. Yeah. For me, I've come to a place where the experience of love is where my heart is completely open, okay? And when I'm in the presence of somebody and I have this open heart experience, what I then what I then sense is a total curiosity for what they're going to do next, which is very different to the kind of love I used to love. I used to experience where they had to do a specific something next or they had to be in a certain way. There's just this open like wow, who are you going to be today? Wow, what are you going to say? What am I going to see in you today? What am I going to be able to witness? What am I going to be able to be present with? Mm. And like a sort of, like a gorgeous internal giggle almost at to at, as to what's going to arise in the moment and what I'm going to have to be with. 
So again, it's not a case of like, well, I'm really curious as to what you what you're going to express, but please express something funny or intelligent. Yeah. Like, don't express don't express something crap. No, it's like I like I just want it. Like whatever it is, whether yeah. it's you expressing, hey, you know, hey, listen, babe, I, I'm zoning out. I'm not. I'm not really feeling this right now. I need some time alone. I'm just like, oh, truth, gorgeous, yes. So it's just this real large openness in this chest area of just like I can't wait to see what you're going to offer me in this moment I would say that's like that's like the core of the love and then from that comes a sense of excitement of like if we put our two selves in this situation what's going to arise here so that's like that's like what happens when you do stuff together like yes we go for a a 10 mile walk like how are we going to express ourselves here but it's just a total openness to what's going to arise in the Mm. moment and a real fascination oh no one of the key words you're saying there is openness you know the ability to to maybe be free and liberating I love that description so so it just feels so freeing it just feels like there's unpredictability because it also raises the curiosity and sometimes actually this is why relationships can become quite stale and boring is because it becomes too monotonous and it becomes predictable and there isn't enough variety in the relationship because it's almost very certain we do exactly the same thing every single day and I know exactly what my partner's going to do I can actually read my partner's mind. I think if you can read your partner's mind, then that's probably a bit of an indication that there's not enough growth perhaps in that relationship as well. You might know your partner very well, but to be able to say, I can predict everything they would do, I think, oh, okay, there needs to be that element of spontaneity, which I absolutely love from what you was describing there when it comes to love. And also just something you mentioned before, and again, you've mentioned in this was the me time and personal space and would you say that going forward that will be something very important for you to embody and embed in a relationship with somebody yeah I I think that the the me time is really useful because it does give you an opportunity to say have I been being me I think when you come into that me time there's reflection time Mm -hmm. there's a sense of like do I feel like I was really far from myself and now I've come back? And then you can be like, oh, well, where did I go? How far from my center did I go? So I think it's very important for that because let's face it, like I'm on this healing journey. It's not to say that the next relationship that I enter into, I'm going to be totally acting from my truth and not my trauma. That's the beauty of the relationship arena. It's there to bring up everything that hasn't yet been seen. So the me time gives you that time to be like, whoa, that was a pattern that I didn't know was there. Um, Whoa, how have I been behaving for the last week? Totally inauthentic. Let me have some moments to reflect. But it also does give you the space to find out who you are outside of that person's influence. And so Mm. I suppose the best way for me to express it is when you meet someone and fall into a connection with them, up until that moment, you were living your life separately. And so everything that well, not everything, but a lot of the things that you're drawn to in that person, they developed without you or they developed before you. And so if they don't continue to have a space where they can continue to develop themselves outside of you, then again, you might get to a point where you're like, I'm not learning anything new about yourself. So the idea of, again, my 
my twin flame like going off for a month and going on a really deep dive into their personality and then coming back and saying oh my god I know you thought I was like this but now I realize I'm also like this too and me being like let's see what else are you bringing into this space Mm -hmm. so yes I do really value that that separation time as well as the coming together Oh, and something you've also you know, spoken about during the course of our conversation is like noticing the patterns. And I think that's probably that you've done a lot of observing of noticing the patterns over the years, which helps that self-evaluation, self-responsibility in terms of what am I bringing to the table as well when it comes to relationship, because it does go both ways. Gabriella, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for sharing so much of us today. It's been absolutely amazing. You're welcome. I, I've loved it too. I've really enjoyed your questions. I've really enjoyed how you have asked me to really to really dig in and, you know, find find the truths and express myself. So, yeah, thank you for holding space yeah. and for asking such great questions. Oh, I honour and witness you for being vulnerable to share what you have done. It's really, really incredible. Before you go, I would absolutely love if you could leave our listeners with one key message to help them along their journey of love, life and relationships? I think for me right now, it's about understanding that there is a huge reservoir within your body of wisdom and truth of of really who you are. Mm. And for many of your listeners, they may be like, I literally, this is the first time I'm hearing this. I've never done anything that has taken me into my body. Some of your listeners might be, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of resonating with that. So for those, I suppose, who've never done anything that's been about coming into their body, I would say that in terms of being able to navigate the relationship arena, knowing what's going on in your body when you're in conflict with your partner or when you're feeling uncomfortable with something with a dynamic that's going on is such a beneficial tool to have because we can get trapped up in our heads paranoid or self-doubtful thinking but often when we come into the body we usually just find there's an energetic release that needs to happen or there's a sensation that just needs the gaze of love Mm. so to explore some kind of body modality whether that's breath work whether that's a gentle form of yoga so i favor yin yoga rather than a dynamic form of yoga because yin yoga enables you to be in a pose in a fairly restful pose but for a considerable period of time so you start to get comfortable with uncomfortable sensation Mm. and then those of those of the listeners who were like oh yeah like I, I kind of feel like I am doing a little bit of body work it's to then take it to the next level so when you've done body work it's to then follow it up with journaling so you're really beginning to translate the experience in the body into words and into language because then you start to get a real relationship and it means that what that then develops is in any given moment you can just go inward for just a few seconds and then come out and be like I know exactly what's going on because I'm able to translate sensation in the body and and understand what it's what it's trying to communicate to me so there's a kind of if you're just starting out perhaps explore some breath work or some somatic experiencing or Mm -hmm. some yoga if you're on the path try to explore doing journaling as well as body work so that you're starting to find words for those sensations Oh, what a lovely takeaway. I love how you separated that into two parts. And for anybody who's listening to that and thinking, wow, what if I want to get in contact with Gabriella? 
how can they do so where can they find you socials any links and also do you have any future events coming up that they won't be interested in attending Mm, thanks for asking that I have a YouTube channel where at the moment I'm really opening up to document my own healing journey as I mentioned this birth trauma so I'm beginning to open up about that and I'm really beginning to talk more about trauma there's lots of journaling exercises there there's lots of really useful educational videos as well as more personal share videos so that's a really great place to start And also zipping over to my website, there's a complimentary link. So if anyone's at the point where they're like, actually, just just a half hour chat or a half hour moment when I can experience some breath work and just have Gabriella hold space. So there's just a complimentary booking link on my website that some people may be drawn to use. Oh, amazing. Thank you. And for everybody listening, I will drop all of those details into the show notes so you know exactly also where to find Gabriella. Once again, I honour and witness you and thank you so much for your time and your energy today. Thank you. You're so grateful. Thank you so much for, yeah, really holding such a professional, intimate space. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. And for everybody who has listened to this episode today, I also want to thank you for your time, attention and energy. And until the next episode, take great care of yourself and others too. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, make sure to check out the show notes in the description with all the important links and how to connect with and follow Teresha directly. If you are motivated and encouraged after listening to this, please follow and subscribe to this podcast. Hey, and whilst you're there, go ahead and leave a five-star rating and add a review. We would love to hear what aha moments there were for you. And you know that saying, sharing is caring. So tell your family and friends about this podcast too. So until next time, take great care of yourself and others too.